When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It is the Hey Mary Kay edition where Mary Kay Cabot is going to answer six Browns questions, Hey Mary Kay style. So stick around and get the answers to all those questions. Of course, check out Football Insider while I've got you here. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page and you'll get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. You'll get a newsletter every single day straight to your inbox. And you can be a part of our text subscription service where we text you with news, analysis, uh, anything that kind of pops in our heads as we go along. So make sure you check out Football Insider. Again, cleveland.com slash browns. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. Okay, here is the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Away we go here on a Tuesday, the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Back to a little bit more of a normal week this week. So let's do this. Hey Mary Kay, let's talk about John Johnson. Why did the Rams let him go? Well, you know, Dan, how many times have I talked about that old cautionary tale? Do you remember that? <laughs> you've told you've told many of them. So <laughs> the cautionary tale of committing a ton of money to a quarterback that might not end up being with your football team down the road, may or may not be with the football team. But when you make that kind of a financial commitment, the way that they did to Jared Goff after his third season, they're paying the price for it now a little bit because they were not able to hang on to a really good player like John Johnson III because they had to make a decision. They are carrying so much dead cap money. Just from Jared Goff alone, they're carrying over $22 million just for him alone in dead cap space. Therefore, they didn't have the luxury of keeping a John Johnson III. They had to make some decisions. They had uh, Leonard Floyd that they wanted to resign, and they basically had to make a decision. Who were they going to commit those double-digit double millions to? So therefore, they had to let him go. And their misfortune in having to do that was actually the Browns' great luck because they got a really good player. They got a really good player. They got him at a, at a really good contract, I think. And he is he's going to come in here, and he's going to start right away, and he's going to play a ton of snaps for them, and he's going to do really well. So – that's the kind of thing that happens. Once again, it just reinforces for me that you need to be careful when you make that type of a financial commitment, the way that the Eagles did and the way that the Rams did and the way that the Texans did with Deshaun Watson. You don't want to rush into that type of a commitment. You want to be judicious. You potentially might want to take your time uh, for, for situations just like this. It's also worth noting these are two teams in, in very different places, too. You know, the Rams, you know, you mentioned the golf contract, but there's other guys, too. The Rams have sort of been in this contention window for a little while. You know, Aaron Donald, I'm, I'm looking at their cap numbers right now. Aaron Donald is just under $28 million. 
Matthew Stafford is at 20 million. Cooper Cup is at 14 and a half. Andrew Whitworth is uh, over 11. Jalen Ramsey is over 10. You got a bunch of guys in between the, this five and eight range. The Rams have been kind of in this contention window for a little while. And that that's when your roster starts to get expensive and the Browns, you know, I guess you could say maybe they were a year late because they were supposed to be better in 2019, but they're kind of just getting into this contention window where they're going to have to start paying guys. And, and some of those bills are going to come due. And like you said, they're going to have to make that decision on Baker Mayfield with, with all of that in mind too. Yes, absolutely. You're exactly right about that. They have not hit that window yet where all of a sudden they're paying Baker and then miles kicks in and they're paying Denzel Ward and you know, it's, it's going to get expensive. They're potentially going to be paying Nick Chubb. Uh, so we'll have to see how that all works out. But I do think uh, that it, it reinforces the notion that, that being a little bit careful uh, with, with how you approach the quarterback money, which is the biggest chunk of contract that you are going to give to anyone in, on your football team. It's going to dominate how you're able to do business and to acquire players over the next four or five years or so. Uh, so it, it just says, you know, just make sure you know what you're doing. Make sure it's the absolute right decision, because I think that is a major reason why they were able to get John Johnson, who for them, he was their number one target this year. He was their number one free agent target for them. He's basically their Jack Conklin from last year. He's the guy that is going to come in and sort of solidify the defense for them. And of course they have the draft too, but he is the veteran player that they brought in to sort of make this defense go. Yeah. The Browns taking advantage of, of some other teams. Like you said, their misfortune, the Patriots did it. A lot of these teams that have money, they're, they're taking advantage of it, especially in this off season when teams are dealing with the COVID fallout, uh, the cap is down. That'll change here over time. We just had those new TV deals that are going to kick in over the next few years. But yeah, the Browns able to take advantage of some things that the Rams, you know, the, the Browns will be on the other side of this eventually. I think they'll certainly manage their cap well, and it won't be desperate. But, you know, eventually the Browns are going to, uh, to get to this point. Okay, our next question, we're going to talk about another free agent signing. So, hey, Mary Kay, do the Browns really expect Tack McKinley to start? Or will they add an edge rusher? I do think that they will add another edge rusher. I really do. I, I think it's vitally important for them to have that second really good quality edge rusher opposite Miles Garrett. So I think they will probably add one in the draft or perhaps another free agent. But at this point, they have the luxury of not having to worry about going into the draft. I mean, now they are not pressured to have to take one at number 26 overall. I think they'll still look very strongly there at number 26 overall at a good edge rusher because there are, it's a really strong edge rush class and there are some really, really good guys. And so, yes, I think that that is definitely a place to look at for number 26, but there are still a couple of guys that they could sign if they so choose. One of those is Jadavian Clowney. He's still out there. Carlos Dunlap is still out there. There are a few guys like that. And then, uh, you know, sometimes guys become available in trades. There has been talk that Daniel Hunter could possibly become available from the Vikings, but they would be crazy to trade him. He's their Miles Garrett. So they would be nuts to let him go. 
you'd have to give up the farm to get him in the first place. And then you would have to pay him because that's just how it's going to have to be. He, he is very, very under market value right now. His average is about $14.4 million. And with the new contracts for Miles Garrett, Joey Bosa, that puts him more than $10 million under really about what he's worth. Okay. In the last two seasons that he was healthy, he had 14 and a half sacks. He's got three years of those double digit sacks. He's an amazing player. Now he sat out this past year with, uh, with neck surgery. So people kind of forgot about him a little bit, but he wants to get paid. So there's talk. Is he going to be available? Well, the truth of the matter is, I really don't think that Rick Spielman and the Vikings are going to let him walk out the door. It is too hard to find a guy like that. He's right up there with the Garretts and the Bosas and the the best pass rushers in the NFL. So I really highly doubt he's going anywhere. As far as Tack McKinley is concerned, I really do think that, that Andrew Barry really likes him a lot. We know he tried to get him four times last year. I think they, they think that a change of scenery will do him good, that he got off track in Atlanta and fell out of favor with that coaching staff and that they believe he can come in here and that he can complement Miles Garrett with what he brings to the table, which is speed and a high motor. And I think they feel like they can get him back to his rookie year, his sophomore year, when he was generating you know, six, seven sacks and doing a really, really nice job. It seems like sometimes when we talk about this, we are the, the Browns have done so much and they filled out this roster so well. We do kind of forget about the draft sometimes. Mm-hmm. And and I keep I know I remind myself over and over again. I try to remind people the draft is a pretty big piece of this. It's a pretty large piece of the offseason for all these teams. So, like you said, they could draft somebody at 26, they could draft somebody at 59. I mean, you've said it before. If you draft somebody in the first or second round, you expect that player to come in and start. Mm-hmm. So if they draft a guy there, it doesn't necessarily guarantee he's going to start, but I would imagine he's going to get a chance to compete with Tack McKinley and, and have that opportunity to, to maybe win that starting job. And I've, I said it after they signed him, this is the lowest, the lowest of low risk signings. Mm-hmm. It's 4 million bucks. If he ends up being a backup, okay, that's fine. You paid him $4 million. That's pretty good for a backup defensive end. If he ends up being a starter and collects seven or eight sacks, then you got to steal. I think that, you know, right now, yeah, he probably is the starter, but we'll see. I I wouldn't write anything in pen right now for a lot of these guys. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? If he is going to be the starter, uh, he does have to get himself turned around because the truth of the matter is uh, he really has only had seven sacks in his last 30 games. Now, sacks are not everything. I went back and looked up what he was doing in his first four games of last year before he suffered a groin injury. And he really fell out of favor with the Falcons when he came out publicly and criticized them for not trading him. Uh, Before that, he got off to a pretty good start. In the first game, in the opener against the Seahawks, he had five quarterback pressures in the first half alone and six in the game. So that's a pretty good way to start your 2020 season. This, despite the fact that he was already disgruntled, he did not want to be there for the last couple of years. He really didn't want to be in Atlanta. Now, sometimes when you are forced, when you get cut by a team and then you are not signed by by another team, the way he was first with Atlanta and getting cut and then not signed 
by the LA Raiders who overlooked him after they picked him up in November off the waiver wire. They had a chance to resign him. They signed Yannick Nagakaway instead to a two-year contract worth $26 million. All of a sudden, he realized, and as I wrote in my story the other day, that he might be all dressed up with no place to go because he, he could have been out, out of a team, out of the NFL. Right now, if the Browns didn't pick him up, you know, because they loved him last year. Andrew Berry loves this guy. If they didn't pick him up, he could be Jadavian Clowney right now, right? He could be Carlos Dunlop or one of these other guys waiting for somebody and hoping that somebody signs him. So he's very fortunate that the Cleveland Browns fell in love with him. Andrew Berry fell in love with him in that 2017 draft when he scouted him. Really liked a lot about him. The fact that he, that he had that high motor and that speed off the edge. And, and he knows it. He knows that this is basically, I don't want to say his last chance, but he's running out of chances. And when, you're, when you realize that about yourself, sometimes you can dig deep and find something in yourself that says, got to get my act together or I'm gone. And he knows it. So, you know, maybe they'll be onto something. But as you mentioned, Dan, if it works out that he he's the starter, that's quite the bargain, right? If it doesn't work out like that and they draft, the, you know, Aziz or someone like that from Georgia, and, and I'm telling you right now, if they draft a guy at number 26 that's an edge rusher, he's going to start there, okay? That's just how it's going to be. First round edge rushers start in the NFL. They, they really do. I, I don't know. I mean, most of them do. Okay. Tack didn't in his first season in Atlanta, but most of them, even as you get down into the later picks, you can usually plug a guy in and have him start. So I'm going to say tw number 26, if it's, if their edge is going to be their starter, they could also trade up. They've got the ammunition to trade up in the round and grab one of these guys. So this is a little bit of a tell for me. The fact that they didn't go out and spend a ton of money on Yannick Nagakaway, Trey Hendrickson, or any of these other guys, Carl Lawson, that we thought they were going to, it almost reminds me a little bit of last year when they had a chance to grab Trent Williams and they didn't do it. Why? Because they were going to get to draft Jed Wills in the first round of the draft. And that's sort of what this feels like to me. They're setting themselves up to be able to do that if it presents itself. I'm glad you brought that up. You're reading my mind over here because I was mm -hmm. going to ask you, what are the two like big positions of need on this defense that they haven't really spent big at, right? You mentioned the one defensive end. Mm -hmm. Can you think of the other one I'm thinking of? Well, I'm thinking, I think you're thinking linebacker. No, actually. I'm no. Not. Okay. Okay. So you're thinking, are you talking about a cornerback? Yeah. Another corner? Yeah. I mean, that that's absolutely possible. And yes, they, they could do that too. They could do that because we did not see, we did not see that. And, you know, we saw, a, we, they got a nickel back, but they didn't get, you know, in the event that they need that next starter opposite Denzel Ward, they didn't get that guy. And of course, everybody is hoping against hope uh, that Greedy is that guy. Everybody wants that to happen for everything that he has been through. But we all know that, th that there are no guarantees. So you're right about that, Dan. That is definitely a position that they could also look at. 
Yeah, those are kind of the two that I'm I'm kind of looking at real closely with that first round pick and that second round pick. It's it's just how it played out last year, right? We sort of knew we knew they were going to take a left tackle at 10. That that was a no-brainer. But then we also I think all of us kind of felt, yeah, they could go safety too in the second round. I, I think you threw out edge rusher too as a possibility in the second round. Mm-hmm. And there were some other ways they could have gone, but safety was was certainly in play. It just feels like this front office. I, not intentionally tells you what they're going to do, but I think you can figure it out sometimes based on, you know, what they do beforehand. And I just keep looking at that edge rusher and, and that cornerback position as maybe the, the two ways they could go with, with those first two picks, but it's, it's going to be tougher this year too, because they're picking later. So they have a lot less control over kind of what falls to them. Yes, absolutely. And I think that the way that they're set up right now, I think you can see that they're not, pressured to take any particular position. They, they do not have a gun to their head to have to take anything. They don't, they do not. I mean, if the season started tomorrow, they could play really good football. They really, really could do that. So uh, even though, even though they need some depth and they can use, there are a couple positions where they could use a starter. They're in really, really good shape and they, they're not going to, they're not going to be forced to do any one thing. I, I had some time to look at draft guys today. I'm going to throw out an, an edge rusher name that I'm sort of circling here. I want to look into a little further. This mm-hmm. will be a second round guy. His name's Peyton Turner. He's from Houston. He's 6'6", 270, 35 inch arms, kind of a traits guy, a little raw based on the, on the research I've done. I know there's probably listeners out there that are like, oh yeah, I've known about that guy for five months. Listen, we're, we're getting there. All right. Houston's pro day is April 9th. So I'm, I'm curious to see kind of how he does there. But that's one of those names that I, I kind of came up with today as I was doing a little bit of, of work on the draft. Okay, let's move on. This is another Ed Rusher question, uh, but real quick here. Hey, Mary Kay, did they come close to signing a bigger name rusher, a Trey Hendrickson, someone like that? You know what? I, I don't think that there were very many that they were willing to go up into the 12, 13, 14, $15 million a year range that they would have had to go up to. I, I just don't think they saw that guy there. There may have been one or two guys that they liked, but those guys um, got re-signed by their football teams. So they did not hit the market is my guess. Uh, so I, I don't think they were, although we heard that they were interested in Trey Hendrickson and they may have, they probably uh, made phone calls and kind of at least inquired about these guys. I don't think they got to a very serious point with very many of them. Now I did hear heading into to it, that they still really liked Yannick Nagakawe. I was told that a couple of days before free agency started that they still really liked him a lot, but the price went up. I mean, he got $13 million a year for two years guaranteed by the Raiders. And that is just not a place where the Browns were willing to go. Now we're going to have to see how that works out. I am very interested to watch over the next three years, how this free agent, edge rush class performs I, I'm, and, and how it shakes out for the Browns, because I was one of those people that thought they should have signed a Lawson, a Nagakaway. but Hey, if they go out and they draft an amazing edge rusher somewhere in the first round of the draft, and that guy compliments miles and these guys go on for the next four years and are these book and edge rushers together. And it didn't cost them. 12 million dollars a year for the next four years that's good business 
Yeah, and I'm looking now some of these guys too. You're not just talking 12 million this year. I mean, Hendrickson in particular, he jumps up to 14, 15. You know, these these numbers kind of explode a little bit too. So mm-hmm. uh, th- those guys certainly got paid. I almost wonder if maybe they, they priced themselves out of the Browns range. They did. I mean, they really did. They would have, uh, they would have wanted one of these guys, but not, not at those prices. I think they probably offered JJ Watt somewhere in the neighborhood of maybe $10 million a year. That that's probably the second number two edge rush market that they were in. Uh, they probably were willing to go double digit millions, but not once you get up into the 13s, 14s, 15s, they, they weren't prepared to do that especially with what you and I suspect they will probably think very hard about doing at least somewhere in the draft. Hey, it's Dan. We're going to take a quick break and I'm going to tell you about football insider where you can subscribe to get exclusive access to stories on cleveland.com slash Browns. You also get a newsletter every single day with exclusive content that's written by Mary Kay, Scott Ellis, or me. It goes right to your inbox. That stuff doesn't show up anyplace else on the site. You get that every single day, including on the weekends in your inbox. That's just for our Football Insider subscribers. And then there's our texting, where Mary Kay, Scott, Ellis, and I will text you throughout the day with news and analysis. We do Q&As. We answer questions. We have opportunities to come on the podcast and make picks. We do roundtables, all sorts of fun things with our texters, and we're going to start putting together some stuff for you to enjoy here in the offseason. So all you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. There's a big blue banner at the top of the page. Click on that banner, get all the information you need, get yourself signed up, and get yourself access to all of that exclusive content that we have available only for our Football Insider subscribers. Hey, Mary Kay, what will Troy Hill's role be? Well, you know, once I was able to figure out the contract numbers for Troy Hill, I think it kind of came into a little bit of sharper focus what the initial idea is for his role. He's making uh, $4.5 million over two years for a total of $9 million. That can get up to $10 million. Uh, but originally when we heard it was four years, $24 million, we were like, whoa, whoa, that's, you know, that's basically, you know, starting, you know, second cornerback money potentially. Well, really... is more in line with what the role they have in mind for him, which is to come in and be the Kevin Johnson nickelback. That is, that's the plan to start out with. Now, what you have to have at that position, and we talked about it ad nauseum last week, was you have to have a guy somewhere on your roster that can also start on the outside. And we know that they let Terrence Mitchell walk. So in a perfect world, Troy Hill will be able to not only start in the nickel, but also fill in on the outside in the event that Greedy Williams isn't ready to go full go or needs a few games off here or there, or that Denzel Ward isn't able to play a full 16-game season. So the chances are pretty good that Troy Hill is going to start some football games. Now, ideally, you don't want him to start 16 games because you need him as the nickel cornerback. You're You're also going to have to have somebody that can play the nickel for you in the event that you have to start him on the outside. But, you know, I think they looked at a couple different guys and uh, you know, they had several in mind. And, and I just think that, that this was the one that, you know, this worked out the best that the price was right. He became available and, and, you know, and, and here he is somebody that can do both things for them. And I, I think that's a really good signing. Okay. we got two more here. 
Uh, we're going to do linebackers here, and then we got a big one here to wrap it up. So we'll start with this one, though. Hey, Mary Kay, why Anthony Walker over B.J. Goodson? Well, you know what? That, that's a really good question because B.J. Goodson actually graded out really well. I mean, he was, in terms of PFF overall linebacker grade, he was up in the top 20, I think it was. Um, I don't know if you have those up in front of you, Dan. I can pull them up if you don't. Uh, I actually do still have that open, so let me see if I can find where. Uh, so okay. he was 26th overall. 26th overall. And in tackling, if you hit tackling, I think he bumps up to like second, second in tackling. Okay. So he's really, really good, you know, at the point of attack. He's, he's a really good tackler. He was good in run defense. Okay. So I, I think that they probably did consider bringing him back. And sometimes you have to strike while the iron is hot. And I think the opportunity to sign Anthony Walker came along. And what they're getting out of Anthony Walker that is above what they were going to get out of B.J. Goodson are, are two different things, speed and coverage ability. Those are the two things that I believe that they are looking for from Anthony Walker. Now, in terms of run defense and just being stout in that regard as, as a tackler, BJ's got him beat in that regard. Almost to the point where I would possibly still think about signing BJ Goodson if he's still hanging around. I, I still don't think it would be the worst thing in the world in certain situations to have a guy like that as well. Probably won't happen at this point, but you can never say never. Uh, but those are the things that Anthony brings to the table. He can wear the green dot. He can be the signal caller. He's a really good leader. He brings the inspirational uh, leadership that BJ Goodson also brought. Uh, but then the added element is that he can cover. He can cover tight ends for you. He can play Mike and Will. So he's versatile. And, and he's got the speed that we all talked about when we walked out of the Kansas city game that we said they needed from the position. He's also just a little bit younger uh, than Goodson who turns 28 in May. And I want to see here. Uh, Walker turns 26 in August. Mm -hmm. so he's a little bit younger than Goodson too. I just thought listening to him, we had a zoom call with him on Monday. I thought listening to him, it just stood out to me, you know, all those on the field things that you mentioned that maybe he can bring that Goodson doesn't. But it also sounded just so much like what they're really looking for when they go out and they sign these linebackers is that guy who can wear the green dot, that guy who does sort of embrace that role of being the quarterback of the defense, as, as mm -hmm. they call it, and as Anthony Walker even used. That, that's what he spent a lot of time talking about is how he really kind of values that preparation and he values taking on that role of being the quarterback of the defense. I, I think there was maybe something that, that could end up being John Johnson, but it sure sounds like based on what he said to us that they've had conversations with him and said, you're the Mike linebacker. You're the guy. This is part of what we're bringing you here to do. And, yes. and I think that's sort of what they look like when they look at when they spend money on the position. Yes, absolutely. He's extremely smart. As you mentioned, he's, he's very, very smart. He will show the leadership. He, there's a very good chance. It'll either be him or John Johnson wearing the green dot. It'll, it could very well be Anthony Walker. Um, which means he's going to have to be, he'll be on the field a lot. So yes, he's almost like a coach. He is almost like a coach on the field. And what he did 
in Indianapolis, and this is why Darius Leonard and those guys raved and raved about him, is the fact that he, uh, not only would he study all this film and take all these notes, but he then distributed the notes to all the other guys. So they knew, like they had a scouting report from Anthony Walker on Baker Mayfield before they played that game. They got two interceptions off of Baker Mayfield and they get, you know, I mean, he watched so much film. He got one of the interceptions himself in that game. He watched so much film. He's so prepared. And that is an amazing thing that he brings to the table. I, I think locker room presence is really important. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I think it's something that, you know, maybe we've always heard in like baseball, the analytics community doesn't value as much, mm-hmm. but I think it's really important, especially in football. It can't be the end all. But I think it's such an important thing. And it really does seem like, you know, they love to throw out that mantra of tough, smart, accountable. But it does seem like they, they really value having guys in that locker room who are going to be leaders, who are going to set a tone and who are going to show like, this is how we do it here. Even if, even for Anthony Walker, who, who hasn't even, who's barely been in that building, he's going to be a guy in that locker room pretty quickly who's going to like lead the way of how things are done. Yes. And so will John Johnson, even though he's just showing up on the doorstep as well. He's got those same leadership qualities. But Frank Reich described Anthony Walker in the same way that Kevin Stefanski described B.J. Goodson as the inspirational leader, sort of the heart and soul of the football team. And and I think that's important. I think that there are some intangibles there uh, that he will bring that that will be replaced that are lost with B.J. Goodson. Okay, last one, and this is one that people love to talk about, David Njoku. So, hey, Mary Kay, did the Browns come close to trading David Njoku? You know, I don't think they did. I really, really don't think they did. I don't think that there was a market for a tight end who is going to make $6 million this year that had 19 receptions and two touchdowns. I just don't, I just don't think it was there. I still think that he probably would have 100% welcome to trade. Uh, and I still think that there's a chance he might still want to be traded or behind the scenes ask to be traded. Uh, but at, to this point, there hasn't been the market. And I don't know if there'd be some creative way uh, that, that you could work out a deal. There's just not that many teams willing to pay that much money uh, for that player at this time. So he's here and, uh, and they're going to have to see how it goes. I, I'm on record. I think I'm on record in these podcasts as saying, I'm pretty sure I've said this, to you guys, uh, that, you know, the culture here is so good now and everybody is so on board that for my money, I'd rather kind of not have somebody that isn't all in. If you're not all in and it's going to be a distraction and we're going to be wondering, is he going to ask to be traded in October? You know, I, I don't know if it's worth it, but you know, we'll just have to see how it works. I don't know if it's worth it for a guy that's not going to get the ball that much either, right? How many times have we talked about there are not enough footballs to go around? I I, I would still try to find something. I mean, yeah, I've, I've said it before. Somebody that fans like is not going to play as much as they want or is not going to get the ball as much as they want. And it doesn't matter as long as you're winning. Right. But also that player, is that player going to be as on board if they aren't getting the football? I think for some guys, maybe. For other guys, maybe not. We'll see. I mean, I guess what's the next mile post here? Is it the draft? If the Browns take a guy in the third round or even the second round that they like, is that sort of a chance where they could make a decision to move on from Njoku? I just think it's going to be hard now because his 
$6 million um, fifth year option uh, salary tender was guaranteed on March 17th. So that's his money now. And you saw him raise the glass on, uh, on Twitter. And so that, you know, he, he's going to make that, that amount of money. And so somebody would have to be willing to pick that up. And I, I don't know. I mean, if they don't, then it's probably the, the Browns are probably looking at it as let's get through one more year with him and pay him the $6 million, get what we can out of him. I actually think, and people might think I'm crazy when I say this, I think he is capable of being an eight touchdown a year tight end because I think he's good in the red zone. I think he's really good in the red zone and he's gotten better at catching the ball. And I think you just have to throw it up there sometimes. And, and now I think he will go get it and he'll make that contested catch. I, I think that if he takes that one more step up this year, that he can be an eight touchdown guy. If you can get eight touchdowns out of him for $6 million, and he gets you where he wants to go, that's going to be worth it. He had a really nice game against the Chiefs in the playoffs. He was very valuable in that game. And I, I think that's what he can be. But you have to weigh that against somebody that, you know, might be making noise and, you know, banging two pans together to, to get out. I, that, to me, sometimes just isn't worth it. And, and it seems like there are other guys that Baker Mayfield kind of prefers in the red zone right now. Mm-hmm. You know, Austin Hooper. Jarvis, obviously, Kareem Hunt. You know, I don't have the numbers in front of me as to how he did in the red zone, but I'm thinking of that Indianapolis game. He had a great right. catch in the back of the end zone in right. that game we talked about earlier. It seems like there are some other guys maybe ahead of Najoku right now. So maybe he's got to kind of earn that that back a little bit with Baker Mayfield because there he's just got so many other people to rely on. Rashard Higgins. I didn't even mention Rashard Higgins. Yes, you're, you're right. You're right about that. And we remember the one game where uh, Njoku stumbled there a little bit in the end zone and, and Baker went to Jarvis instead and Jarvis caught the touchdown and David was upset about that. Now he regained his footing, uh, but Baker chose not to go to him. And I could see why, I mean, that, that's exactly what you would do. I mean, he wasn't available, uh, at the moment you needed him to be. Uh, so Baker made the right decision there, but, um, but there are times where he's got plenty of other people to go to in the red zone. And especially this year, I, I think that, you know, if Odell's back, I mean, think about that. I mean, <laughs> you're definitely going to have uh, somebody else that you should be going to in the red zone uh, in 2021 if he's back healthy and he should be. Okay, that'll do it for uh, this edition of the Hey Mary Kay podcast. Back to a little more of a normal week this week. But for those of you that told us that you loved the roundtables, and when I mentioned that on the pod last week, I had even more people reach out and say that they loved the roundtables too. They're not going away. Of course, we'll keep doing our, our normal Friday roundtables, but you know, as it sort of merits as we go along, we'll, we'll try and get some more roundtables to you, uh, including maybe some stuff with our tech subscribers, which you've got to check out at cleveland.com slash Browns. It's the Football Insider uh, subscription. It's the blue banner at the top of the page. So make sure you check that out and get signed up. And of course, subscribe to this pod or you listen to your podcast.